with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read from verse 10 to 17. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed." lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You know, when it comes to this man known to us as Jesus of Nazareth, there are two things that are generally known about him that are beyond historical doubt. The first is that Jesus was someone who lived in first century Palestine and was crucified by the Roman Empire. And the second fact that is beyond historical doubt was that Jesus was an incredible teacher whose primary method for teaching was to use parables, or to use stories. Every other aspect, every other part of Jesus has been debated or disputed, whether it's miracles, the miracles that he performed, or the resurrection, there's debate and dispute, but not these two things, that he was crucified and that he spoke uh, often using parables. And this summer here at Life Center, we're going to dive into the reason why Jesus spoke in parables. Like his disciples, we want to know, why do you speak in parables, and what do they mean? Why did Jesus use parables, and how can we in 2022 understand these stories that were written to a first century Jewish audience and context? And as you probably know, a parable is a story that conveys a deeper meaning or truth. And as human beings, we cannot get enough of this kind of story, can't we? We love stories. You know, stories that begin with once upon a time, or in a galaxy far, far away. Or it all started with, or in the beginning. You know, as humans, we don't just love stories. Our, our, Our brains are hardwired to, be, to think in story, we remember in story, we even convey our own experiences through story. And so should it really be a surprise to us then that Jesus would choose the power of story to convey the greater spiritual truths about God and his coming kingdom? Mark chapter 4, verse 33 to 34 says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. 
But appealing to the human experience was not the only reason why Jesus spoke in parables. Lest we get the idea that Jesus speaking in parables is kind of the equivalent to Robert Munch, you know, telling his stories at the local library. Mortimer, be quiet. You know, Jesus didn't tell stories because he was just loved to tell a good story. You know, these stories Jesus told were more about dazzling an audience with his ability to captivate them with, with stories and with characters. These, but these stories were perfectly designed to penetrate the human heart. Because as we read this morning in God's word, there were many who could see with their eyes and hear with their ears, yet they could not perceive or understand God's word in their hearts. You know, their, they hard, their hardened hearts had closed their eyes, had closed their ears, spiritually speaking. You know, they could see Jesus with their eyes, but they could not see him with their hearts. They could hear Jesus speak with their ears, but they could not hear him speak and the words he said with their hearts. And so when Jesus would tell a story to convey or reveal a spiritual truth about his kingdom. Those whose hearts were open, this truth would be revealed, and as a result, they would rejoice, knowing that God had revealed a deeper meaning or a spiritual truth about himself or the kingdom. But those whose hearts were closed, those who who could not understand, who could not hear, the truth would be said, the truth would be proclaimed, but they could not understand it. The truth would be concealed, and as a result, they would hear Jesus speak, but there would be confusion. Or they would even be annoyed that Jesus would say things in what sounded to their hearts as riddles or mysteries. That's why Jesus would often finish a parable by saying those words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he would just drop the mic and he would walk away. And he would leave it to them. If your heart was open to him, you would understand. The truth would be revealed. If your heart was not open, if your heart was closed, then you would remain a mystery. You would remain a mystery. And the crowd, sometimes even the disciples, when Jesus would tell a parable, they would look around at one another and be like, do you know what he's talking about? There would be this collective scrabble you know, face, you know, look on this face. And I wonder if any of the disciples ever bluffed and everyone's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. And then the one disciple, probably Peter, would be like, oh, you don't understand? Oh, I totally got it. That's weird. You didn't get I got it for sure. No, oh, yeah, I totally understand what he's talking about. So what are parables? Well, we've explained parables are stories or symbols which convey a deeper meaning or truth. And it comes from the word, the the original translation of the word parable literally means to cast alongside something else. In In the case of Jesus, 35 times Jesus spoke using parables. Interestingly, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke are the only times he speaks. John has no mention of any parables. But in, the, in these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 35 times Jesus is casting the reality of God's kingdom, its actions and expectations, alongside something else in the world, real or imagined. And mostly when Jesus would speak, he would use the language of ordinary people. You know, he would speak using uh, the language of, far- of agriculture, speaking to farmers. Or he would talk about to, to sheep or, or workers and servants and kings. Things that people would, ordinary people like you and I, we would grasp, we would understand. 
But the most important thing that you need to remember, and if there's anything that you take away from the summer series, I hope this is the one thing, that these parables are not moralistic tales telling you how to be a good person. Instead, they are Jesus' way of sharing with you the good news of the coming kingdom of God. And so instead of asking what these parables have to say about me and my relationship with God, think through this question, how is this parable about Jesus and the inauguration of his kingdom? Every week, I encourage you, begin with that, under, with that question. How does this parable that Pastor Terry is sharing, what does it tell me about Jesus and the inauguration of his kingdom? Because Jesus is giving us a window to what God and the kingdom is like through these stories and symbols. So, wouldn't wanting to know as disciples, you and I, the secrets of the kingdom of God be something that's pretty important to us as followers of Jesus? I would say so. You better believe it. And so Jesus does not want you and I to miss out on a single part of God's truth that is often concealed or hidden by this world. And it's why he would often go and later on take the time to explain to his disciples what the parable meant. And so this summer, I would love for us every Sunday, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what revelation do you want to bring to my heart? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? Lord, would you open my eyes and my ears to what you are doing and saying? That to confess, every week we should confess, you know, to the Lord, Lord, I struggle to listen. My heart is prone to hardening, and therefore my ears and eyes are prone to closing. But I need to listen. I need to hear the truth of of who you are and your kingdom, because what God has given me in these stories are gifts, for in them are the secrets to understanding his kingdom. But it all starts right here, church, right here in your hearts, Having eyes to see and having ears to hear comes down to having a heart that can understand, that having a heart that can perceive. And so taking everything that we've just said into consideration, let's look very briefly at our first parable for this summer. And that's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 32, which reads, Jesus, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So our first parable this summer is known as the parable of the mustard seed, and it is a parable that is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew's gospel, which we just read from, this parable, as, as well as three other parables that it is set alongside with, are concerned with one theme. That is contrasting the incredible, magnificent growth of God's kingdom alongside its small and humble beginnings. And the reason why Jesus tells this parable is to answer a question that people were asking about him. And that question was, how could Jesus and his ministry have anything to do with the kingdom of God? 
And we know that John the Baptist went before Jesus and he proclaimed a message of repentance and calling people to repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. And so there was beginning to be some anticipation and expectation that something big was coming. And so when John was later arrested, Mark's gospel makes it clear that the heels of John the Baptist being arrested, Jesus perceives this as being a sign that his time has come to begin his public ministry, to go public and to begin proclaiming the same message that John proclaimed. And Mark chapter 1 says that after John the Baptist was arrested, that Jesus went out and began proclaiming the, 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 the message of repentance for the time had been fulfilled and the kingdom of God was at hand. Over and over again, Jesus spoke about the coming kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, there is nothing else that Jesus spoke about more often than his kingdom. It was of central importance to his entire ministry, his entire mission. It all pointed back the crucifixion, the resurrection, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the messages, you know, the, the, the parables. They all point back to that same thing. That is, his kingdom has come. Yet as Jesus proclaimed a kingdom come, it was pretty much impossible for anyone to fathom that the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming. You know, these were a people who were, who were culturally formed in a kingdom of, of Rome, a mighty empire of strength. You know, if you did not, the kingdom come, and if you did not come with it, you know, it would be off with your head. Or they would crucify you if you were, have any sort of resistance to the kingdom. And so whether it was out loud or in quiet, the people, the crowds, and even, yes, the disciples were wondering, how does all this equal that? You know, how does Jesus and his ministry, you know, equal the kingdom, the God, the kingdom that, that God promised would come? These disciples who had dropped everything to follow him, they sort of went all in on Jesus, didn't they? You know, back in early 2021, I, I took all my birthday money that my grandma gave me. My grandma's not here, so I can tell this story. And I put them into some penny stocks that a certain pastor at Life Center, not this campus, another campus, a pastor who won't go named, Pastor Gabe, <coughs> gave me some hot tips of some penny stocks that were supposed to quadruple in 2021. So him and I, you know, together, we, we invested some of our, our pennies, our birthday money into these stocks. And I was like all in, okay, on my birthday money, on my birthday money. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had a hot tip, and I could read those message boards on Yahoo. And people were saying, you know, this is hot. This is just stay with it. You stay with it. And if you're wondering, I, I'll spare you the details how this story ends. I imagine many of you already know where the story is going. It ended with Julia doing our taxes recently. <laughs> and she calls me to the, to the computer and says, I don't know where, how to mark this. Is this a capital gain or a capital loss? I was like, mm, the second one. <laughs> the second one, the latter. You know, these disciples were not playing with birthday money. They had dropped everything to follow Jesus. They, all in, they dropped their fishing nets. They left their families. They gave up everything. All on a hot tip that Jesus gave them, that the kingdom of God was at hand. And I bet that if you were one of those disciples, you know, you may have be 
getting a little nervous as well. You know, it was certainly a bear market in, in regards to kingdom futures. You know, and the religious experts on BNN Jerusalem were saying, sell, sell on Jesus, sell. Well, you know, before you're left holding the bag, so to speak, once the Romans get wind of all this kingdom talk. And because, though, the kingdom of God came to them as a spiritual kingdom, it meant there would be no early evidence. There would be no candlestick chart patterns to chart, you know, the growth of the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom had arrived, as Jesus had claimed, but it was almost imperceptible. It had very few members, none who came from any leadership background or families of nobility or prominence. They were uneducated men, fearful, weak, slow to understand, and unqualified by the world's eye standards. And they were handpicked by Jesus to help lead a kingdom that no human eye could grasp its growth or potential, for it was an invisible kingdom. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, there it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. But what started like a mustard seed, and the mustard seed was a proverbial seed recognized for its small, small significance, yet it had the ability in Palestine to grow to being up to 12 or 15 feet. You know, it, it was the smallest seed in Palestine, and its tremendous growth had, you know, a proverbial meaning to the people. And so what started out as a mustard seed, Jesus said, it would grow. And it would grow in the soil of persecution. And it would grow in the soil of radical love for one another, despite cultural, ethnic, ethnicity, you know, every sort of differences. It would continue to grow. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, it would keep growing and growing and growing and growing. And this small and insignificant group of disciples that followed Jesus, that left everything, they gave up when everyone else said, you're stupid, you don't know what you're doing, you're wrong. They gave it all and they followed Jesus. And as a result, you know, we today, we as believers have the ability to see thousands of years later, this mustard seed has grown into a tree. And the best part is that it is not yet finished growing. I want you to know that in 2022, it can feel like here in the West, you know, the kingdom of God has stopped growing. It hasn't. It hasn't. You know, yes, you know, the, there are many today in the West who love to boast the decline of Christianity and its influence in Western society, yet it's so ignorant that they're ignorant of what is happening, you know, in places like South America, Asia, Africa, you know, which I believe in the not-so-distant future, the dominant Christian influence is going to be coming out from those places. You know, if you're going to want to know where you're going to get your books and your sermons and your themes, it's going to come from those places of the world. The same way how the 18th and 19th century, how America was the dominant Christian influence in the world. You know, we're going to see here in the coming decades how these places of the world are going to begin to be the dominant Christian influence. Praise be to God. But despite its waning influence here in the West, there should not be any reason why anyone here today should be concerned or angry or afraid. God's story is not a story of triumphalism 
We're measuring success according to the world's standards. God's story is a story of faith. That despite our troubles or how ungodly our culture has become or how much Satan tries to thwart God's kingdom from growing, all efforts to stop the kingdom of God from growing is going to fail. Nothing is going to stop the kingdom of God from growing. And when Jesus returns for his church and the kingdom of God comes, not in a spiritual or an invisible sense, but it comes in its fullness. It comes in in its actual reality that can be seen with eyes and ears. It will be certain and it will be glorious. Revelation 11 verse 15 says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. So what is then Jesus calling my heart then to understand in this parable? I believe that he's calling our hearts today to sow and to invest Kingdom seeds. There are two kingdom seeds that I want us to see today in this parable, and that is the kingdom seed of promise and the kingdom seed of witness. You see, first, I think this parable speaks of the seed of promise, that when Jesus makes you a promise, bet the house on it. Bet the house on it. And every believer through every moment of history has been and will be tested on how firmly, how willing, how strongly you can hold on to the promise of Jesus when facing overwhelming challenges against inconsiderable odds. And when everyone else seems to be jumping ship, you're not going anywhere. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And if you haven't had any trouble being in this world, then you haven't been in this world long enough. But here's the mustard seed. Here's the kingdom seed of of faith, of promise. Take heart. Take heart, which is a word Jesus is encouraging. Literally, it means to instill courage. Be courageous. Be strong. Be brave. Take heart. Because here's the promise. I have overcome the world. You know, these are the same words that Jesus spoke to Joshua and the people of Israel as they readied themselves to cross over into the, over the Jordan and into the promised land. The Lord said to Joshua, you and the people get up and go over the river into the land that I'm giving you. And it's a land filled with enemies for sure. A people who are hostile to your presence. A people who are going to fight back against you. A people who do not want you to inherit the land that I am about to give you. But go. Because everywhere your footsteps, I will give you that land. Go, be strong and courageous. And do not be afraid. For I am with you wherever you go. In that land you will have trouble. But take heart. I will be with you. I will fight for you. Let's go back even further to when God made a promise to Abraham. God said to a simple man by the name Abram to get up and go to the land that I am showing you and I am going to bless you and make your name great and your descendants as numerous as the stars. How about that for a promise? And all Abraham had was what? A mustard seed of faith. A mustard seed of promise. And Abraham believed the Lord. And it's what does it say in Abraham? In, in Genesis, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as what? As righteousness. 
See, when you compare Abraham to the promise of a great nation, he in his old age is nothing but a mustard seed. And when you compare the people of Israel to the promised lands filled with giants and filled with many nations that are hostile against them, they were but a mustard seed. But they held firm to the promise, to God's promises. And in the soil of their faith, that seed began to grow and it began to grow and grow and it was unstoppable. And so my, my church, my friends, where is God calling you today to plant that seed of promise? And how rich is the soil of your faith today? You know, maybe you're like, well, this, the soil that I'm living in is a soil of persecution or a soil of hardship. I just can't seem to just shake the challenges and the disappointments and the difficulties, you know. But here today, the promise, take heart. Be bold, children of God. Be courageous in where God is leading you. Take heart because God's promises are unstoppable, regardless of what obstacle stands in his way. So we've, is that good news to anyone? So we mentioned this kingdom seed of promise, but then there's a second seed today that I want us to see, a second seed. So invest, sow that seed of promise, sow that courage, sow that faithfulness, sow that obedience. And then the second seed that we must sow and invest is the mustard seed of our works and our witness. Because every Christian in every age has asked and wondered whether or not their works and witness are of any importance in this world. Have you ever wondered that? You know, is this, this life that I'm living, is it of any significance or importance? Does it really matter that if I live a life set apart of holiness, set apart for my friends, you know, the lifestyle that they're living, the things that they get to do? Does it really matter that I go out of my way to share Christ to my unsaved family and my friends? Does any of it really matter? Again, this parable should be of great encouragement to you today. Because the answer is yes, it all matters. It all matters. I believe that every Christian who has ever lived, and if you are a Christian here today, you have contributed in some way, in some manner, to that mustard seed becoming a tree. In some form or some way, every single one of you here today, you're here, you, profess, you confess Christ because of someone else. Amen? There's not one person here I'm willing to bet is here because you found Christ on your own, that not a single person contributed to you coming to Christ. You know, you, you, someone, someone was praying for you. Some grandmother down the, down, the, down the line was praying for you. Someone witnessed to you. Someone demonstrated faith somewhere along the way. And while history is filled with great examples of men and women of faith, I'm challenged by this to remember the names that have been so easily forgotten, the names of the persecuted, the names of the martyred, the names of those whose story will never be told, of faithful grandmothers who prayed and are praying for decades for their children and their grandchildren to be saved. And perhaps those grandmothers, they passed even before they saw their grandchild get baptized after giving their heart to the Lord. But I want to encourage you today when it comes to the mustard seed of witness and of faithful works, uh, don't stop sowing those seeds. 
that mustard seed will become a tree because in this promise there is an invitation. Come and sow and be part of a kingdom of abundance. Because the kingdom that you belong to is not a kingdom of scarcity, scarcity, but of abundance. I want you not to worry today that in heaven, we're not going to run at a beachfront property. You don't have to hoard the kingdom to yourself. You can tell your friends. You can tell your family. There's plenty of beachfront property for them in heaven too. So abundant is the kingdom of God that when the mustard seed grows into a tree, here's, here's the cool part. Sort of a throwaway line, and some commentators have, have tried to like figure out what is the mystery of this, and it's, it's not that hard. Jesus said that once this mustard seed grows into a tree, that the birds of the air come, and they make a nest in its branches. You know, the biblical imagery of nesting carries the idea of protection, safety, refuge, a sanctuary. A nest is a place where a mother bird can provide for her young. And again, the imagery in this parable is straightforward. This kingdom, which started with humble beginnings, will become so exceedingly abundant that it will ultimately result in a kingdom that provides shelter and protection and blessing to all who come and receive it. You know, those birds in that parable, do you know who they represent? The Gentiles. Many of us here today, we, we qualify, don't we, as, as the Gentiles, the people from all the earth who are not Jews, people from all the earth who are also being gathered together to become the people of God in his kingdom. You see, when Christians, when we live in obedience and we hold fast in faithfulness to God's promises, not only will we live to see God's blessings and become a blessed people, but by our obedience and our faithfulness, we will become a blessing to those around us. That is the mustard seed of witness, that I am blessed to be a blessing, that God has not blessed me so I can keep this to myself, but he has blessed me so that I may live in a spirit of abundance and just everywhere I go want to sow the mustard seed of, of witness so that I too might become a blessing. You see, what all started with one man, Abraham. You know, no greater than a mustard seed. It resulted in him becoming a, a great nation having a great name, having as many descendants as there were stars, you would say that Abraham was certainly blessed, wouldn't you? Yet where Israel, the nation of Israel, the nation that would come from Abraham, where they lost their way, where they went astray, is that they forgot that the fundamental purpose that God had made them become a great tree, that he started with a mustard seed, and they grew and grew, and they became as numerous as the stars, that the reason why God made them that way was that they would provide shelter to others. Genesis 11, verse 2 to 3. And I will make you, this is the Lord speaking to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so if all the families of the earth have been blessed through one imperfect man's faithfulness. Imagine how much more all the families of the earth will be blessed through the faithfulness of one perfect man, Jesus Christ.
If God's blessings turned Abraham's seed into a great nation as numerous as the stars, how much more will he bless his son with a kingdom that will know no end, a kingdom that has no limits, a kingdom that is unshakable and is unstoppable. And the best part is God has invited you to come and be part of that kingdom. You are part of that kingdom. You have received and inherited the blessings of God through the faithfulness and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so my encouragement to you today is don't just be satisfied by being a blessed people. Become a blessing. Be blessed so that you can become a blessing. Sow the seed of witness. And do not be discouraged when you don't see the fruitfulness you know, the disciples could have been discouraged and quit because they didn't see the fruit of, of their faithfulness, the fruit of their obedience, the fruit of their fellowship. They could have just packed it in, but they didn't. They remained. So be firmly rooted in God's promises so that your roots will result in branches that will one day give shade and shelter to others. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Hallelujah. So Lord, today we, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to give the secrets of the kingdom to your followers, to your disciples. Lord, these parables do not need to be mysteries. They do not need to be so confusing that we cannot grasp the meaning, Lord. But Lord, in them we find truth. We find deeper meaning and deeper truth of who you are and what your kingdom is all about. Lord, thank you that you have brought your kingdom from heaven to earth. And thank you that you are going to return for your church and you are going to bring heaven to earth. Lord, and so we as a people now who are an, an, part of your inheritance. We are the result, Lord, of that promise that a mustard seed would grow and it would grow and it would be, until it became a tree. And that in that tree, the birds of the air would come and find shade and would find rest, would make, it, make a nest in those trees. Lord, we have come and we have received the good news of the gospel. We have believed in your, in your son, Jesus Christ. In his, in his death, his sacrifice. But as a result, because he died, we have died with him. We have been crucified with Christ. But now that we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, we too are not dead. We are alive, and we are alive forevermore. We are a blessed people. And Lord, today we hold fast to the seed of promise. And I pray for anyone here today who is encountering a difficulty, giants in the land. You are encountering, you know, a promise, but you cannot see there's a great chasm between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise today. I pray today that there would be a firmness today in spirit, a, a, hold, a steadfastness of faith that says no matter what obstacles, no matter what I cannot see today, I will hold firm. I will take heart. I will be courageous because the Lord my God is with me. And Lord, I pray we would be also be a people who would so just like without any, just so abundantly, uh, the kingdom, the seed of, of witness. Lord, as we have been moved today through the story of, of Fidel's ministry of just going to Rwanda, and it literally was just, Lord, I'm going to sow a seed of witness. 
Lord, I believe you are calling me there. I'm going to go and I'm going to just sow seeds. Lord, we plant, others will water, Lord, but you give the growth. And so, Lord, let us not be so worried about the outcome. Lord, let us just sow seeds, believing, Lord, in the power of the, of the gospel, believing in the good news of the kingdom of God, and that you are enough. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here today who's come, who's visiting here today, and you hear this message, you hear this invitation to come be part of God's kingdom, I pray that they would not hesitate in receiving that invitation, that they would say yes to you today, and that they too would become part of that tree. Lord, we look at the world and we look at the enemy's, you know, works. We look at the ungodliness of our, of our culture. But Lord, we are not going to be discouraged. We will take heart. Lord, you are going to continue building your church, growing your kingdom. It may not be our time here in the West. Who knows, Lord, you know. But Lord, we thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, Lord, who are seeing the abundance of your kingdom, who are seeing revival. And Lord, we just say, oh Lord, have your way. Pour out your spirit upon those people, Lord, and may they be mighty prophets. Lord, let them be a witness to the West who in their arrogance thinks that they have achieved a utopian vision of what life is all about. Humble us, Lord. And if you need to use prophets from Asia, from Africa, from India, from South America, Lord, let it be done. But Lord, let us also too be faithful to that work of witness. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've revealed to our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen.